All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Boombasticast. And boy, do we have a fucking really cool episode for you today. You know what I mean? We have the great Zach Amico, the international superstar, uh, the dude from the podcast, R.A.P., Real Ass Podcast with Louis J. Gomez. Bye, guys, for the in-finance. Zach Amico's Midnight Horror Spook Show. Woo! I'm digging. That's good shit. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Ghoulishly ghostly. Just joking. It's foolishly ghoulish. You know what I mean? A little edit job there, but it'll be okay. And everything, dude. Trauma, comedy, wrestling. The dude's everywhere. Super nice guy. Uh, very appreciative that we could get this time with him to sit down and talk about all the cool stuff he does. Because he does do a lot of cool stuff. And... uh I always got the vibe would be would, would, would kind of vibe well, would gel well together. I feel like there's so much things in common between us on the show and Zach that we enjoy that it'd it go hand in hand almost. You know what I mean? Uh, it's one of those cool things. And uh, I wasn't wrong. It was a great conversation. And uh, yeah, do you want to say anything before we pop in, Hawkman? I know the Hawkman over here got the act. Uh, got to act in front of Zach in the hashtag Shakespeare shitstorm, the new Lloyd Kaufman trauma work. Heck yeah, yeah. I mean, Zach, uh, Zach's a good guy, uh, very talented. I got to work with him. I even got a selfie with the guy. And, oh, yeah. Uh, selfie, selfie, fuck yeah. Selfie. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Zach's very talented. He's, uh, I always appreciate him because uh, he's like us. He's a hustler. He keeps on keep on doing different things, seeing what works, and he keeps going. There's no there's no moss uh, growing on him. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the thing that I think both Matt and I have made clear on our podcast is that, you know, what we love to do is is everyone likes to sit back and, you know, see, uh, you know, the red carpet and, and, and you know, and all that and think that, you know, that's what making movies is. But uh, as one guy I talked to recently says, that's that's the bullshit part of, um, of making films. That I mean, re- really making films is a lot of hard work, a lot of, you know, uh, getting the right people in the right places, making right. things work. And, uh, and Zach is one of those guys that he knows what he wants to do and he finds a way to do it. It might... Uh, might take a bit, but a lot of hard work, but, you know, you do what you have to do. That's true. So, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome to the show the great Zach Amico. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Okay. Anytime, dude, anytime. You know, uh, I think the first time that Zach popped on my radar... It had to have been maybe the Battle Roast or Trauma deal. What, do you remember which one was kind of... I know you've been doing comedy for a while, right? That was yeah, first. I'm about uh, 12, 14 years into comedy, somewhere around there. Uh, I had already done Return to Newcomb High Volume 1 when Roast Battle kind of popped. So those were both kind of happening at the same time for me. Yeah. Word up. Yeah, Roast Battle, you know, that was a lot of good times. And Jeff Ross was the host of that, I believe, right? Yep. Back in the pop, you know, the old, the good old days of the roast. They don't do them no more on the Comedy Central, I don't think. No, I think, unfortunately, uh, times are a little too sensitive. 
a very unfortunate, but they can, yeah. you know. You know, I know you killed it in the, the roast of Louis J. Gomez. You know, that was a great roast. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, dude. And, and I mean, people should go watch that roast instead of the Comedy Central roast anyways, you know. So, you know, from New Jersey originally, right? Yep. Seacoggers, New Jersey, born and raised. Now, I know that there's a lot of things that you get down with that we love, you know, wrestling, movies, you know, comedy, all that stuff. I assume from a young age, you know, you're watching wrestling, watching stand up, you know, watching horror movies and such. Um, is there was there like a official time in your life when you just kind of said, fuck it, I'm going to do it and like stepped out to do it? Um, I always wanted to probably be involved in entertainment um, and everything's kind of staggered. It's funny. I've told a few people this. My one of my first like vivid memories is watching wrestling with my grandfather. And I told him I was going to grow up to be Mr. Perfect's tag team partner. Um, so I've always loved wrestling. I never thought I was going to be involved. Uh, when I was around 12 or 13, I saw the Toxic Avenger on VHS, rewound it, watched it again, told my parents I wanted to make movies. Went to film school. While I was in film school, I took a class on the history of New York comedy and the final was either a 20-page paper or five minutes of stand-up at a real club. I opted for the latter, and I wound up uh, kind of falling in love with doing stand-up. And the guy that put that show together happened to book a comedy club, and he asked me if it was something I would seriously like to try. And I said yes, so he wound up giving me some uh, what are called check spots. Are you guys familiar with the term? No. So in New York, um, a lot of clubs do showcase shows. Outside of New York or L.A., a lot of clubs have uh, different acts every weekend. You'll have a headliner, a feature, and an MC. In New York, you'll have an MC and six people doing 15 minutes. Mm. Now, in between the last two people... They have to drop checks. So no one's paying attention. Everyone's furious about how expensive it is. And everybody's trying to do math to figure out how much to tip the lady. Uh, So in New York, the check spot is kind of comedy boot camp where you have to go up when they drop the checks and then they light you when everyone's checks are paid. And you're just stuck up there with a hostile environment. Yeah. Uh, so he put me on that, and I was working the door and then going up while people were paying their bill, uh, and I did that for about two or three years. Well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger in those situations, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think a lot of guys of my generation came up doing that, and that was kind of what we would consider comedy boot camp. Yeah, paying your dues type vibe. The, uh, a lot of, like, the, you know, comedy, film, you know what I mean? There's a lot of, like, crossovers of the struggle. You know what I mean? The struggles are all the same. Um, it's uh, it's just that striving deal. I know you brought up Toxic Avenger, which is a big influence on myself. I know a lot of people. And it's just like, you know, that movie is, I think it showed everybody you can make something, like, really entertaining. You don't need, like, a million dollars. You know what I mean? It definitely spawned off, like Lloyd spawned off a whole generation of filmmakers, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, it's very hard to argue that he's not one of the most influential uh, filmmakers of all time. Just even if you look at um, 
uh, uh, the spawn of what would become the uh, Hollywood indie, you know, your Tarantino, Rodriguez, Kevin Smith, you can see the trauma influence in everything they do. I believe, like, wasn't Waitress and some of those earlier sex comedies, like, pre-Porkies or, like, right around that time? Yeah, yeah, Troma originally did sexy comedies, and, um, because they would play drive-thrus, and and that would be the second feature for the grown-ups. And then, yeah, Porkies, all those movies are directly influenced, the, you know, up to American Pie and Scary Movie are nothing if not modern Troma. Right, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, Lloyd's a dude that, you know, they kind of, people give him hard times because, you know, the subject matter, you know, can be, I don't know, off color, I guess, or whatever. But, like, they got to look deeper. Lloyd's one of those dudes, and I love Lloyd, but I think, like, you know, sadly, I think when Lloyd passes is, like, when that's when the respect will kind of outpour for him, where they really kind of look at his body of work and go, oh, yeah, well, maybe we should have appreciated this guy more a little bit. So. <laughs> That's how it is sometimes, unfortunately, you know what I mean? I guess, yeah, and I would hate to see I would hate to see him get those accolades now because he's got enough of an ego. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean I mean one of the things I love about Lloyd and about Troma is the fact that while you have all of the, you know, the, the boobs, the the blood, the guts, the over the top stuff, which we all love, but he always has a message. He's always talking about something, he's always pointing out the foibles in society and environment and other problems that society has. Yeah. And I always jokingly refer to uh, trauma as the um, sugar that helps the medicine go down, you know? And, and it's, it's funny because you sit down, you, you watch these and if you actually, you know, take a moment to listen to what he's satirizing, what he's talking about, he's talking about a lot of, uh, problems with a society that we have to look inwards towards. Yeah, and what I love about Lloyd is that um, he's very, it's, it's kind of centered. He, he, you would think he'd be go one way or the other, but he's not afraid to poke fun at himself or liberalism as well. Yeah. Uh, and, and that nobody's safe. And I know that's a, a, a trope that, you know, uh, you know, we make for equal opportunity offender. But he really is not afraid to pull punches with any subject matter, and he's got enormous balls. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the South Park dude, you know, like the, every now and then they'll pull something, you'll go, ooh, for somebody at that height, it's like, I can't believe you're kind of doing that, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, in, the, in his more recent films, probably the last, like, maybe four or five, I know music, like the musical elements are getting a lot into him a little more, which is more of a classier they're kind of making a more of a classier type of film in a way you know what i mean which is cool yeah lloyd's the well, shit man if anything there's lloyd will never miss an opportunity to make things more difficult for himself yeah uh <laughs> and the fact that now he's incorporated music into all these movies where uh he has no idea how to direct a dance number uh barely ha- hires a choreographer and then asks after the fact if the actors can sing. Uh, it, it, it's so admirable that he's just like, fuck it, we'll get it done. Uh, and every time it works out. And, you know, it's he's in his 70s, and he's still learning yeah. about how to direct scenes like that. You know, like, we're, we realized on set that uh, he had recorded a bunch of improv during one of the songs, 
and now he had to stick to it. Instead of just leaving that blank, and then we could have recorded it later, he was then married to everything he said in the sound booth. Um, but it was so, so... It was, a, it was very cool watching somebody that tenured still have lessons to learn. Yeah, for sure. Now, you went to NYU, right? Yes, I did. Did uh, How did you kind of get into contact with trauma? Just kind of like through interning? I know... No, I actually, so I, um, I've always wanted to do trauma type movies. So for all my classes, I made very silly trauma esque stuff. And I had done a movie called, uh, Schizo and Sluts from Planet Fucktard. And then the sequel was called Franken Sluts. And I had, I think, just mailed a DVD to trauma and somebody liked it and they kind of kept an open line with me. Um, and told me if I made anything longer to hit him up. And for my senior year, I took this experimental film class. Uh, and um, we were given, like, it was supposed to be a $1,000 budget. Like, that was that was supposed to be your cap. And everybody's like, oh, I'll do this five-minute thing. I'll do this five-minute thing. I'm like, what if I did an hour? Yeah. Right? And I apologize if that's my phone. I'm going to turn it in a second. Sorry about that. No I'm worries. Sorry. No worries. My apologies. No worries at all, man. No worries at all. Sorry about that, guys. Hey. My wife's iPad was in here. <laughs> I couldn't figure out what was ringing. It was pissing me off. Sorry about that, guys. No um, yeah, so I said, what if I do an hour? Uh, and it was kind of a preposterous thing, but I went, let me just try. So I wrote this, uh, hour long movie called Mickey Maniac. That was about an animator who gets fired and comes back and kills everybody in his office. I like that. (laughs) And, uh, uh, Lloyd was speaking to a class at NYU that I wasn't in. And I saw that he was, so I just emailed the professor and I was like, hey, huge trauma fan. I've never seen Lloyd do a master class. Is there any way I could sit in the back of the room? Super cool guy. Um, and said that was fine. And then I was like, oh, let me test my, my luck here. And I emailed Lloyd's assistant at the time and I went, Hey, I'm shooting this hour long movie. Um, is there any way I could get Lloyd for 20 minutes to shoot something real quick? And here's where I learned a great filmmaking trick. Uh, take your lead actress or whoever you would say is one of the prettier girls in your movie. Have her come with you and say that she is the producer of the film. And you will get a lot more face time with the person you're trying to work with. Because <laughs> especially now that I've been with Troma for about a decade, I'm pretty done meeting fat, ugly guys. <laughs> <laughs> Like I, I'm like I'm up. My my quote is done. <laughs> but I learned that if if uh, and I brought my lead actress and said she was a producer, and I asked, like, can we improv a scene real quick, and where she um uh put Drano in his coffee, and then he does the trauma, you know, yeah. first. Oh yeah. And we shot it in like 15 minutes, and he was really cool. And I put it in the movie, and I sent it to him. And yeah, they wound up just having me come in an intern after I was out of college. 
Uh, and I kind of floated around doing that for a little while. And then comedy started to pick up, and I wasn't really able to keep up both schedules. Um, but then they put out an ad to have auditions for Return to Newcomb High. So I, when you do an audition for Troma, your first audition, they basically give you three to five minutes, do anything you want, monologue, etc. So I just did a real monologue of myself saying, you know, this is my dream to die in a trauma movie, and I have the loudest scream in the world. And I screamed, and I said, thank you. And it didn't occur to me, so when you do your release for the audition, there's a number of questions on it, one of which is, will you do nudity? And I'm no, I was no stranger to getting naked for a joke at that point for my friends. And I said, yeah. And I got a call. Well, did, you know, are you serious about that? And I said, yes. So I came in and I did another audition. And I could see this one part that was the fat friend kind of really getting developed each time I came back. And the part was changing. Because in the original script I saw, I died first. I died in the first 20 minutes. And then they kind of changed it around that I was around a little more and a little more and a little more. And the thing with Trump is you have like seven or eight auditions because they want to make sure you're not going to quit yeah. and that you're serious about it. So you keep going out to this building in Queens, you know, every, every day or two. And then I get a call. Hey, would you do a nude audition where you do the trauma uh, meltdown, the Brahma Seltzer vomit green all over yourself uh, tomorrow? And I said, sure. And I get there. And um, the Village Voice is doing a cover story on Lloyd. And there's all these reporters and photographers there. And uh, I do the audition. And I, right after that was 4th of July weekend. And I'm working a security job with my dad. And here comes the village voice. He opens it up, and it's me naked throwing up green all over myself. <laughs> and I went, like, man, they better give me this fucking part. <laughs> Let me and, get your father's like, that's my boy. That's my boy. That's yeah, my boy. it was nothing. It was nothing new at that point. Yeah. And uh, so then I'm working in Times Square selling comedy tickets, and I get a call. It was a Thursday night. Hey, we, we think you have the part. Would you also be interested in being second assistant director? And I said, well, that would be, you know, an honor. And they go, okay, well, we're shooting in Buffalo, and we're leaving Monday. And I quit my job. I walked over to my boss, and I, I gave all my stuff in. And I said, hey, I'm done. You know, thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm gone, I'm moving, and I moved to Buffalo that Monday. I just, I, you know, I left everything. Yeah. Sacrifice, um, man, yeah. You know, I uh, uh, destroyed a long-term relationship, left the industry, I, you know, I left my job, I left everything. And I just moved, and, uh, you know, it's here it is. Well, that was 10 years ago, and I'm still working for him, making movies, and uh, having a great time. Yeah, man, you've become a staple at Troma, like, you know, Gabe Freeman, Trent Hagar, Will Keenan, Caleb Emerson, you know what I mean? These are all, like, alumni, you know what I mean? I've been a big Troma fan for, like, 20 years, so, like, I've seen everybody kind of, 
climb the ranks, you know what I mean, and do the deal. And uh, you're definitely one of them, which is the shit for sure. Yeah, that, and that means a lot to me. I love doing cameos for people. Whenever somebody's making something, if they want me in it, I'm, like, always super pumped to just kind of uh, continue on that legacy of the, the – the, much like Andy Warhol had the factory, yeah. I feel like Lloyd has these trauma superstars or whatever and, and that are not necessarily um, the most talented or the most good-looking, but there's something about them. Passion. And to be part of that uh, for the trauma family is just—it's an honor, and it's been my dream since I'm a little kid. Yeah, it's a true like energy and passion. You know, I've always said that the true independent spirit is kind of at home at trauma. You know what I mean? It's kind of like all the people that kind of just pick up a camera and want to make a movie—they're all influenced by those films, and they 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 make the the, the voyage out there. You know what I mean? To try and be a part of them. Yeah, and there's so much cross sections with other. Uh, movies and filmmakers, you wind up meeting everybody uh, over the years, the longer you hang out there. Yeah. Now you said like roughly around that time uh, was like when the comedy was starting to kick off. And I've always loved comedy. I don't know nothing about, you know, the first thing I probably, the first medium I probably ever loved was probably comedy, but I could never get on a stage. Like I do the show now, but if you told like a 12 year old me, that I would do something like this, I'd be like, that's not happening. You know what I mean? So like, I've kind of, I've, I've, I've evolved throughout the years, but he's a yes, very shy person. He's very shy. I used to be, I re- you know, I used to be really shy. And then I realized if you, you know, to get what you want in this world, you got to break out of your shell and fucking go for it. You know what I mean? You can't, it's what you got to kind of do. But like that comedy world's really foreign to me, you know what I mean? But, uh, so like when you're starting to, breakthrough you're just getting more kind of interviews and more catching better slots and stuff that's kind of like the, the kind it started of to get booked started to get road work yeah. um right around the end is when i started uh going out on the road as an mc or um a guest uh for comics that were headlining um and you know that's kind of the trajectory you go on you show up as an mc and if the club likes you the next time maybe they'll bring you back as a feature and you feature for a few years, and you're doing good. Okay, now you're ready to do an hour. Um, so that was when I was just starting to get my foot in the door as far as, you know, getting on stage and having 10 minutes, 12 minutes yeah. that I could uh, do anywhere. Word. When did you, uh, like, meet Lois? Lois, before you, you know... I actually met Lois prior to Returns to Newcomb High. We were oh. both working. Uh, I was my first full weekend at a comedy club. He was one of the comics on it. And we wound up, uh, I met, my first ever show I did, I opened for Big J Okerson. Big J's good too, yeah. Um, and that's how I kind of met that entire group. We all shared a manager for a while as well. And then, yeah, uh, kind of friends with Lewis on and off for years. He trained me to sell comedy club tickets so that I could make a living and still work nights uh, at the club. Because that's a hustle in itself where you got to do it outside to people walking by. Was that like yeah. that? Or, yeah, yeah, that's what I did for years. Um, and uh, uh, just, you know, uh, long-term friendship. And at one point, he wanted me to produce a new podcast he was doing, but I have no technical skills whatsoever. Yeah. So he wound up just having me sit as a, like a co-host. And we have been doing that show for seven, eight years now. That's the Realized Podcast. Okay. And uh, we are, I think we're, uh, might be coming up on a thousand episodes. Yeah. Yeah, you guys. Like we do three a week now. 
great that's a great show you know part of gas digital so you were kind of there when gas digital formed you know what i mean like the, the birth and all that that's become we've had we had ralph on the show you know gas digital is the spot you know if you want to get that really good dark comedy that's like where you go get those podcasts that's for sure you know yeah we um what had happened was lewis and i were with stand-up new york labs and then legion of skanks was with creek and then they were on uh the anthony kumia network which is now compound media and they wound up Want to raise with compound that you know whatever didn't work, um, and me and Lewis left the other uh, place we were with, and so just you know here's this guy Ralph, and Ralph has a studio in his house, um, and Ralph's got this beautiful apartment. We show up, there's a studio, and all of a sudden I'm at Ralph's house every day doing podcasts, and then one day, hey, we're gonna buy a studio. And I think it was more that Ralph wanted everybody out of his house. Because <laughs> yeah. there would be like 10 of us sometimes, depending on how many shows crossed over. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, hey, we're going to get this little space. And they got this little space. And then, hey, we're going to buy um, another unit in the building and make it the sales. Oh, that's cool. And now we just bought the entire basement of the building. That's going to be a big studio. And, uh, uh, it's been incredible to watch Ralph and Lewis run this business and, and, and find all the success and growth and be so generous with their time and, and with making sure guys like me can make a living uh, podcasting. You know, I do five shows a week. I'm there every day. Uh, it's, it's, I consider it's like having a radio job, but it actually pays. Because yeah. <laughs> I get a, you know, they, they, they cut me in on ads and, and merch and, it's not like serious where I'm on, on a, a salary. I got to earn my money every yeah. My money is based on my views and my subscriptions and my ads. Yeah. And they, you know, there's nothing more you could ask from guys like them except to give you an opportunity. I'm not asking for a hand. You know, you can't go in asking for a handout. You go and ask for an opportunity to earn money and make them money and make yourself money. And uh, they're the coolest guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ralph was the shit. Gomez seems really cool too. You know, he, he, it's like that. I think he has that double edged short type vibe where like the comedy is like really dark and people kind of, you know, they, they think that you're some demon of a human. You know what I mean? I don't think a lot of people understand that like the world's kind of dark and you need that dark humor to kind of, you know, so there's certain people that don't laugh at whoopee cushion jokes anymore. You know what I mean? So you need something a little more elevated. And uh, yeah, Gomez seems like. A really good dude, and he's a good dad, from as it seems, and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, they look like a great company to work for, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a wild gig, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and Real Ass Podcast, rap, you know, be able to go check that one out. That's a lot of fun, too. You guys do that uh, Does It Live or Does It Die segment, which I really appreciate a lot. You know what I mean? I think that's fun. Uh, I love your how, how dark the humor is, and, you know, you're not afraid to laugh at a little bit of death. You know what I mean? It's okay. No problem. Yeah, it's 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 not the easiest stuff to introduce on a morning show. Yeah. Uh, um, but I think that's why people like it too. Yeah, yeah, a little uh, dark humor with your coffee in the morning, with a croissant and a severed head right next to you. you know? No big. <laughs> I see it on one of the sites. I seen a a video of like a like a like a screen. There was some dancers on a stage, and like a screen fell. 
Yeah. yeah, I don't know. And supposedly they lived. I don't know how they lived. It looked like fucking Play-Doh when it hit him. He just like, boof, buried him into the ground. Yeah, we did that on Friday. <laughs> uh, I We all sent it to each other on Thursday night. We're like, we got to do this tomorrow morning. We had to watch it 20 fucking times. It was like a, a million angles of it because everybody had their cell phone now. You know what I mean? So, well, it looked like uh, a wily e. Coyote. Like, yeah. he was just gone. I was surprised that he lived, you know. It's, it could be, they, they might just want to say you live, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know, the, the, it was, it was wild. That's some, yeah, some crazy shit. Now on the network, you also have Bye Guys with the, uh, Ian Finance, which is very good. Yep, that's yep. Good Ian show. and I started, uh, that started as on certain days when Lewis couldn't make Real Ass Podcast, Ian would sit in for him. At a certain point, I was like, hey, I don't do a show on Thursdays. You want to start coming in and we'll do this every week? And so it's the same, uh, you know, having comics in, getting our friends on the air, uh, and, you know, messing around. And uh, me and Ian have been close friends for years. I think we're also a pretty good team. And, yeah, we're coming up on, a, I think, a year and a half of that show. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. They let you just do shows. It's very open there, you know what I mean? And that's a good show, too. Thank you. Yeah, and it's more, once again, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's giving you the opportunity. You know, they'll give you... They take care of the producer, they'll distribute it, they'll do everything, but, you know, it's all on you to make an entertaining product. Hell yeah. The, does that give uh, Miko's Midnight Horror Show? Is that through gas, or is that your own yeah. deal on YouTube? No, uh, Midnight Spook Show is also on gas. Okay, cool. Um, and that is my uh, watch-along podcast. Um, I and friends of mine, mostly comics, sometimes lately I've been having wrestlers or filmmakers on, uh, we will watch horror movies, B-movies, genre movies, anything that I, under a very wide net, would classify as a midnight movie. Yeah. Uh, so I've picked weirdo kids movies or made-for-TV movies, um, and it's just comics hanging out and yapping. Um, and just like when you watch a movie at home with friends, sometimes you talk about the movie the whole time. Sometimes you don't even mention the movie. Yeah, uh, and the way it's designed is we do a ten count for the audio, so if people download the podcast, they can sync it up to whatever they're watching. Uh, if they want to watch the movie at home, uh, and then yeah, we uh, do it on Gas Digital. Uh, we show it for free every Friday night at midnight. Yeah, and then it goes up a few days later on uh, YouTube and iTunes and Stitcher. You guys should do a, a TV movie called David. And I remember seeing this as a kid, and it fucking traumatized me. It was about the dude that kidnapped his kid. And, like, when the cops were bearing down on him, he, like, burnt him. He, like, lit him on fire. It was... Uh, oh, I would definitely do that. Yeah, that was a whole dude. I remember... And the dude, I forget the actor's name who did it, but he was... Um, he, was in, he was in He was in a few other things. that He looks like the dude Peck from Ghostbusters, but he's not. Um, but he's got this look, and he's just so, like, deadpan. And it's, it's horrifying, dude. I remember, like, the kids burnt up in the hospital bed, at, like, in it, and they give him, like, a Ken doll. And he's, like, ripping the head off the Ken doll because it looks, looks like his dad. It's, like, horrifying. Oh, I'll definitely look into that. Thank you. <laughs> I'll send you a link to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think you would dig it. Now, Foolishly Ghoulish, that's, a, that's on YouTube strictly, right? Uh, well, Gas uh, working Gas up on that as well. Oh, my so, God. Um, yeah, yeah, so uh, our marquee sponsor, Gas, is a great company called Yo Kratom. Yes. Uh, I'm not telling people to use Kratom, but if you do, $60 kilos, and they're very good to us. And I had performed last year. We have a festival called Skank Fest, 
that we do through Gas Digital and the Legion of Skanks podcast. And Yo Kratom was our marquee sponsor. They saw one of my shows and asked me, you know, is there any content that I've wanted to make? And I had, I've had this idea bashing around for a while that I always wanted to do a, car, a Tales from the Crypt style dark cartoon comedy. Uh, and they just threw a number at me. Uh, there was an animator, uh, Lewis Tuck, who worked with us before on two other projects. And we kind of crunched the numbers. And uh, if we if we worked very hard and uh, didn't make a lot of money on it, we were able to knock out a few episodes of a cartoon. And uh, it was really super, super fun. I love it. It's definitely uh, an example of my humor outside of my stand up and podcast. I get to do like a little more like dark and silly. Yeah, it is very fun. I do recommend people checking it out. You know, I think there's six episodes, maybe. maybe there's four. six, and I got two more coming. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, that that what is kratom? When I hear people talk about it, they always like you know, it's, they talk about it like it's heroin or something. Was it a protein or something like that? Um, it is some. It is a plant that uh, does affect your opiate receptors. Oh, okay. A lot of people use it to get off opiates. Okay. Uh, for other th- people use it for pain and stuff. Um, but it's just, it's legal and it's not, uh, uh, made in somebody's lab yeah, yeah. or what have you. Positive. Um, I always tell people don't start on my account, but if you do use it, this is the safest place to get it from. There you go. Amen, brother. Heck yeah. So the wrestling, I know you've always been a wrestling fan. You do backyard wrestling as a kid? You get into that? No, no. Didn't have a backyard. Uh, there you go. Lives in an apartment. Uh, but no, so I always loved wrestling. I was always tertiarily like a fan and went to a lot of shows. And then, uh, once again at a, at a comedy show, a festival, I wound up meeting two wrestlers who had this, who worked for this company at the time, Capital. Now we're called Catalyst. Um, and, uh, I had done a performance and I, so I do a thing at our festival, Skagfest called the Naked Roast. Hmm. where it's roast battle, which is two comics doing a one-on-one insult competition judged by comics with a host. And when we first started doing the festival, I said, well, they said, well, what's that show going to be? And we were sitting around going, what's the dumbest show in New York? Well, the roast battle. Well, what's the other dumbest show in New York? And there was a show at the time called The Naked Show, where every comic had to be naked. <laughs> and I had done it. Um, and it's, it's a wild experience. Like you think, you know, your material and then you look down and your dick's out and you're like, Oh, what am I talking about? Uh, and I went, do we should do naked roast battle. And we just did it the first year. And now every year it's kind of a, my, my big event. Um, there's no cameras allowed. There's security. It's never going to be filmed. It's never going to be photographed. And we do stunts. Um, I roast the festival, uh, and it's super duper fun. And uh, I started doing entrances. So one year I did the Sandman from ECW, and I came out through the back and I crushed beers and I split my head open. And I meet these two wrestlers, and I went, "Oh, look at my forehead! I, I cut myself last night doing the Sandman entrance." And they went, "Oh, that's so cool! Uh, do you want to come to one of our shows?" And I was like, "Absolutely." 
And I wound up just becoming closer and closer friends with the one guy that uh, booked the company. And he brought me in as a character. He said, hey, I want you to be, you know, part of our, they had like an an authority uh, storyline where they had an evil owner. And I was going to be one of his henchmen. And then eventually, after a few months, they said, you know, we want to start training you to manage. And that turned into me having a heel stable. And, uh, yeah, I've been with them for, I think, three years now. And uh, we tape every month or two. We have uh, the show's on Gas Digital. It's also free on Tubi and Pluto. And it's on YouTube. I want to say we have 200 episodes. Uh, it's been super duper fun. And, uh, yeah, it's just so rewarding getting to work with some of these really awesome indie guys. Uh, you know, forever bad guy. I will never have any interest in being a face. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a trick one day. It could be a big, you know. If they yeah. expect it, you know, you got to come out on goody two-shoes or something. Uh, but it's been a blast. And, you know, we're uh, taping again in September. Yeah. Uh, we tape about a month or month and a half worth of TV at a time. So we'll do about a uh, we'll do a full pay-per-view and then that gets split up and every episode has a match or two on it. Hell yeah. What, uh, what era of wrestling was your era, you think, when you were, when you were watching it? I mean, so I'm 34. Mm. So I was in grammar, middle, high school for the Attitude Era. Yeah. Um, I personally think the wrestling was a lot better shortly after that, in that, like, Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, the Ruthless Aggression Era. Yeah. But I just got asked this question yesterday on a different show, and I'm going to go weird on you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go... Uh, when Strong Style took off in Japan, and then that really influenced, like, that Ring of that really good Ring of Honor period where you had Joe, uh, Christopher Daniels, all these guys just really swinging for the fences. I, I, I just, I love watching big, meaty men hit each other really hard. (laughs) Like, I, you could, I could be watching anything. Yeah, and they go. Would you rather be watching Vader dump somebody on their head right now? And I go, Yeah, put that on. Yeah, <laughs> fuck yeah. You brought up the Japanese. You get into Japanese death matches and such. Yeah, I do. I got. Uh, I watch a lot of death match stuff. Uh, I'm good friends with uh, my buddy Casanova Valentine. Uh, runs the No Ring Death Matches here in Brooklyn. I go to all those. Uh, I one of my early wrestling t- uh, when I first started tape collecting, I had a bunch of Japanese deathmatch stuff, but like the like uh, piranha tank match, yes, all yeah. that kind of shit. Uh, the uh, cactuses yeah. on the ring posts, I loved all that. Exploding yeah, barbed wire and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Now you're an ICP fan, right? You're Juggalo. I've been known to dabble, yes. Dabble. So you've uh, you've seen the Stranglemania tapes, of course. Of course, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are great, man. I love them. Stumbling to them as a teenager was fucking incredible because you had, you know, ICP are very funny. You know what I mean? I don't care who you are. They're very funny people. And, you know, the super violent fucking wrestling was great. Like you said, the fucking into the glass. Uh, you know, you had Terry Funk in there, Cactus Jack. Uh, they eventually had to pay Cactus Jack. I remember they they, they fucking cornered him in the WWE locker rooms. I remember. Um, you, yeah, I will argue that uh, of all the movies I've ever seen, 
Big Money Hustlers is one of the funniest, most self-aware films ever made. Yes. And if anybody doesn't like ICP, I totally get it. Mm-hmm. But when you watch that movie, you go, they're funny, and they know why they're funny. Yeah. I always say, even if you don't like their music, and I can understand people not liking the music, like the, the, to go back to like the, the, the stand-up and the filmmaking and stuff, it's like the hustle that they had to put in to get to where they were to like pop their, their icon, their pop culture icons at this point. They didn't really have MTV. They didn't really have radio. I mean, you got to respect that if nothing else, you know what I mean? Yeah, and they're just, everything they do is just so entertaining. They're nice guys, too. I've met them twice. They're good. They're actually genuinely nice guys, which is good because, you know, every now and then you meet people that aren't good guys, which sucks. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? What did you think of the Vinnie Mac thing recently, having to step back over, step down over his uh, accusation? You know, here's the thing. Anybody who's watched wrestling in the last 30 years, it's the least surprising story that's ever happened. Surprised it was a girl. Yeah. What, what, you think he was fucking Linda? I mean, I think the most impressive thing was that 73 years old, he's still passing pussy to the homeboys. Yeah. Like, think about that. He, he, hey, hey, Johnny Ace, I got one for you. Think about that. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, and, like, do I really give a shit? No, he's a yeah. fucking maniac. Of course right. he treats, like, anybody with that much ambition is probably monstrous. Yeah. It's true. Uh, I'm not shocked. I am pumped because I think Triple H's NXT was some of the best wrestling TV that's ever been on. Yeah. Um, and I'm bummed that Regal's gone because mm. I feel like Regal was a great right-hand man for that. Yeah. But I, I, for all the criticism you could have of Triple H when he was on top, the guy I think is an excellent booker. And from a personal standpoint, a student of WCW, NWA, really good storyline-driven wrestling. Yeah. And I think we're going to see more wrestling and less uh, pageantry and hoo-ha. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more in the ring. And that's what I want. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, Triple H, definitely, you know what I mean? For sure, Di- like a dynasty dude. He, The way he worked up the ranks is, like, pretty incredible. It is kind of ICP-like, where he just kind of, he was just a wrestler. He worked within the system. Now, in the family, I don't know if they're married for real or if that's a gimmick, but... No, they're married for real. They're married for real, huh? Yeah. So, I don't I want to Yeah, go. I've seen them. I, I uh, many moons ago, uh, at a meeting... I had at MTV, yeah. I was leaving, and it was just me in a giant hallway, and then Stephanie and Triple H coming the other way. No cameras, nothing. And I had an NWO shirt on, and I went to Too Sweet Triple H, and he just shook his head at me and walked away, and Stephanie laughed. And I was like, that's so much better than if he had just done it. It <laughs> is. It really is. When they stay in character, I think that's really cool, man. You know what I mean? Um, China, China ever going to go into the Hall of Fame or is that too much bad blood there? She's not already? I don't think she is. I don't know. I mean, they put her in the games. They might as well. I mean, yeah. my only, it, I, I totally get why, because maybe you don't want kids Googling what happened to her and yeah. seeing her getting gangbanged by guys dressed like Bret Hart and Mean Gene. <laughs> it's not that a great look. Out to? 
She takes yeah. I know X Pac I know her and X Pac. Oh no, X Pac did it. Then she did a bunch of them on her own, and one of them is in a wrestling ring with a bunch of guys dressed up as wrestlers, <laughs> and it's a real sad state of affairs. They could have got Virgil to do it for some short money. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I heard rumor that you I know you're a big serial uh, serial killer uh, fan, and uh, I am myself. You know. Um, now you own a piece of Gacy's the death row outfit, or yeah, I got like a this? few things. I got a piece of Gacy's death row shirt. I got uh, Manson's hair. I got um, dirt from, oh, excuse me, concrete from the uh, hardware store. Ed Gein killed his second victim in. Um, I have uh, one of the things I have that I think. Well, excuse me. I have a Joel Rifkin. I have Joel Rifkin's college photography. Oh, really? I have his uh, prints and his negatives. Um, and wow. then the thing that I have, a fan sent me this, and it's it's really wild. I have a signed Big Lurch CD. <laughs> really? And I don't know anyone else that has the, that because the other things I've seen other collectors have. Yeah. I don't know anyone else that has Big Lurch shit. Yeah. Are you familiar? With Big Lurch? Yeah. Serial killer, right? He was a rapper who ate uh, his roommate's girlfriend. I knew of the rapper, but I didn't know that he had that backstory to him. Yeah, so he he was in a group called Cosmic Slop Shop. And they were adjacent to, like, uh, Mystical. And that era of, like, Southern rap. Yeah, yeah. And one night, and he was 6'7". So one night the cops get a call. Hey, it's Lurch, and they knew who that was. Yo, it's Lurch, and uh, they know somebody called it's Lurch. He's naked, covered in blood, screaming at the moon. And I guess he smoked some PCP and he got a bad batch. And he uh, killed his roommate's girlfriend, broke a knife off in her shoulder, gave up, and tore her rib cage apart with his hands. Wow! And ate her lungs. Because he said the devil was inside her. He needed the uh, devil. Damn. I, I was talking about why that makes him my favorite rapper for a number of years. Uh, you know, 50 Cent got shot nine times. Fuck you. Big Lurch ate a bitch. <laughs> yeah. uh, and his old manager hit me up and was like, hey, I have promotional CDs that I am not allowed to sell because he's written on them and that's illegal. Wow. Do you want one? And he brought me one of the. Sh- he mailed me one, and uh, that's like, that's a that's my favorite thing. I think I have. Fuck, man! I would have. I would expect that from like uh, some underground juggler rapper or something like that doing some. You know that dude, Big Lurch for main stage for the gathering this year. That's all I gotta say. Fuck. Yeah, uh, you got the Macho Man Randy Savage rap album. No, but I've heard it. Fucking, I love that. That's a great album. Somebody wrote for him, I think. Yeah, I would assume so. I also have the, um, I can't remember if it's a Knicks or a Nets card with uh, the Menendez brothers in the background. Yeah, I think with Mark Price or something like that was the dude on the card. They're just chilling in the background. <laughs> and that was like real close to the time they got caught killing their parents. That was after they killed the parents before they got arrested. <laughs> we had a dude on the show uh, not too long ago. The episode hasn't come out yet. Who I uh, wrote a book called... Um, Serial killers and heaven victims in hell, and it was like uh, he, he's uh, he also does like I didn't realize there was such a market 
for like uh, the artwork and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like I've always wanted a Gacy, the one of that, like a Pogo painting or something like that, which I can only do. Like I think Jonathan Davis and Marilyn Manson are probably the only people that like have those. There's a few out there I've seen. I know. Um, I know someone that has one. Um, that's also questionable legality because of murderbilia laws. Yeah. Cause they're not supposed to profit. Yeah. Um, but I do know someone that has one and, uh, and it's kind of a mentor of mine and I'm really hoping it's mine in the will. <laughs> <laughs> that same person also has, um, the numbers off of Dahmer's door. Oh shit. And the pulley from Ed Gein's farm that he used to gut the uh, victims. Holy mackerel. They bought those at police auctions. And, um, yeah, they have a they have a little murderbilia museum in their house that is, uh, you have to get private, to be shown privately. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that pulley is, that should be, like, in some, you know, the, the what is it, the murder museum in California, the museum of death? Uh, museum of death, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always see uh, Merle Allen talking about that place. I know you're a big Money G- Merle. You're a big Gigi <laughs> fan, right? Yeah, he's Gigi fan. Yeah, he's a New Hampshire guy. He's over by us. You know, one of the best. You know, you you think? Do you think that Gigi was given a hot dose to die, or do you think he was regularly overdosed? I think it was probably the third or fourth time. Yeah, and I think. I think it was just one of those deals where if somebody had found him a few hours earlier. But everybody was so fucked up that yeah. nobody checked on him. Yeah, he truly is like the epitome of rock and roll. It's, it's it's he he kind of has that ICP thing to a degree. What I mean by it is like there's people that'll fucking just hate him. Never met him before. Don't know his stuff. Hate him because of the imagery. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, dude. He he really was, and, and and I I always contemplated the idea of possibly him being given a hot dose because it was right around the time. Uh, he, he did an interview uh, on some, like, TV show. I don't think it was Geraldo, but it was, like, some show. It was him and, like, the Club Kids or something. It like was that. the Jane Whitney show. Yeah. And uh, he's, like, he, they're, like, they, you know, that's back in the day when those, when they would yell back and forth with the, you know, with the audience yeah. and stuff. And I want to talk to Lloyd someday about it, because I remember Lloyd went on the Martin Downey Jr. show, and they fucking were, like, terrible. They, like, booed him off the stage. They were, like, horrible. But, um... Yeah, like in that with Gigi, he was like, he's like, I'll fuck your kids if I want to fuck your kids. I'm like, well, you got to be careful with stuff like that because, you know, someone will just kill you and then they'll go, well, I guess he, they won't even get in trouble for killing you because they'll say he needed to die. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, that that was uh, Gigi Allen, the club kids, and a cop were the three guests. Yeah. And Gigi did drugs in front of the cop. And the beginning (laughs) of the episode is that Gigi died two days after it was filmed. Yeah, uh, but also on that episode was the Club Kids, which Michael Alec wound up murdering his drug dealer. Yep. and I got to interview him on the SDR show with oh, Ralph, yeah. <laughs> and uh, which is so funny because I've been mentioned so like you know my friends at Legion of Skanks they get in trouble for having controversial guests, you know, like political pundits who are bad people. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then I think. Hey, we interviewed a fucking murderer. Nobody said boo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a, they made a movie about them. I remember. Yeah, Party Monster with Macaulay Culkin and Seth Green. 
I believe yeah, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, that was a wild movie. That was a crazy, you know. Yeah, you know, I kind of miss the you know talk shows like that where they can go back and forth crazy. You're not going to see anything like that on fucking TV nowadays. You know what I mean for sure. Yeah, you want to hear a wild story? This, I only found this story out recently. So when I was a kid, uh, my dad's a welder. And he used to take me to the Channel 9 studios to be a kid in the audience of this kid show called Steam Pipe Alley that was hosted by the comic Mario Cantone. Mm. And my dad, got was, I was, he worked there because he worked for the Howard Stern show. And he would go do jobs for Stern. He flew Fartman. Um, he built stuff when they did Homeless Hollywood Squares. Um, and he was talking to the guy that, you know, whatever, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, hooked him up with that gig when I was a very little kid. Yeah. And he goes, what? And he goes, I remember Stern. He goes, how did we start working together? And the guy goes... Well, I actually brought you in because this one show, you had to fix all the chairs because there was a riot because they had this filmmaker on the Morton Downey Jr. show and there was a riot in the studio and they attacked him. And my dad goes, was it Lloyd Kaufman? And he goes, yeah, how'd you know that? He goes, my son's, is, <laughs> my son's been working for him for over a decade. <laughs> wow. Isn't that wild? That what is a connection. Wild. What a random-ass connection. That's fucking crazy, dude. And that, yeah, that episode, you can see it on YouTube, and it's like, you, know, you feel bad for Lloyd, dude. I don't know if Michael... Michael no, he got set up bad. Huh? He got set up really bad, dude. And that Morton Downey Jr., dude, which he, he's in one of the best Tales from the Crypt episodes of all time. But outside of that, dude, he treated Lloyd like a dickhead, for sure. And... uh yeah, dude, he was just, he, that dude was like a fucking animal. Like, I, I could only imagine behind the scenes what that dude was like, because he probably fucking killed people in his office. Like, that's how hardcore that dude seemed. Yeah, he, he was got, a monstrosity. He fucking was craziness. I know you brought up Tales from the Crypt earlier. You have, you, you know the episode I'm talking about with that? Yeah, in the haunted, in the, yeah, when he's doing the live broadcast. Yeah, love that episode. Great episode. Alex, did you have any questions? Yeah, um, actually, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, I was looking at your IMDb page, and I saw a, a film, The uh, Alcoholist, and I saw the trailer for it. It looks like a very cool film. Uh, I think uh, it says that uh, you had a role as a cashier and also uh, assistant uh, director on that, I think, right? Yeah, so um, that is an Italian movie. Okay. Um, so what had happened was, and Bill Mosley's in it from The Devil's Rejects, Texas Chainsaw 2, Army of Darkness. Uh, what had happened was after we made Return to Newcomb High 1 and 2, we all kind of became a little collective. There was a, a group of us that, you know, we had sound, uh, we had producers, we had me to AD, and we kind of all were working together on various stuff. And our producer was talking to a group of Italian filmmakers. And basically what I think happened was our producer said, hey, I've got these guys. We just made these two movies for such and such amount of money. And, you know, they get the job done, they'll work long hours, etc. Yeah. And then the Italians said, hey, we can make this movie in America for so much less money. 
because in Italy, the, gov- the films are subsidized by the government and you have to go through all government stuff. Here, we can just bang it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went back to the funeral home we lived in for Return of the Newcomb High and we made this Italian movie that uh, is like a serious drama. <laughs> and uh, it was a harrowing experience because we found out that in Italy... Uh, they don't necessarily do things like um, shot lists. Yeah, hmm. they just make it. It's just they get there and figure it out <laughs> for a few hours, and then start and then scream until everything they want's directly in front of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what had happened was, uh, like a, maybe a week before filming, they had already cast all the leads. And uh, the guy that was supposed to be the second, the antagonist, dropped out. And they gave us an amount of money and said, you can pick any actor you want. So we made a list that was like Bill Mosley, Jeffrey Combs, every horror icon. And we emailed all their agents and said, it's this many days for this amount of money. Do they want to do it? Or are they free? Do they want to do it? And Bill Mosley was our number one choice, and he came right back to us. Awesome. So I just got to hang out with Bill Mosley. Really, the movie sucks, and I <laughs> hated being a part of it, but they paid me well, and I got to hang out with Bill Mosley for a week. Hey, is- I mean, I mean every, every film you do isn't going to be uh, a great experience. I mean, heck, I got a lot of, <laughs> lot of uh, uh, dog houses I've had to work in, in, in before. But uh, the thing is, you you gotta you gotta find the silver lining. You have to find something that you you get out of it. In this case, you gotta work with Bill Mosley, and you got a great experience like that. So yeah, and I, and I learned no matter what, even when a film set is bad, you then learn how not to treat people yeah. or what not to do in the future. And, and an experience like that is when you can spin like, all right, well, I just watched. 8,000 mistakes that I'm now not going to make. Right. Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. You know, we, we, uh, you were a part of the grind exploitation. We, we had a segment on there too called Victoria. You did the Dracula versus Kabuki Man, right? Yeah. So that actually was, um, we were all working at Trauma and, uh, Lloyd had to go away for a convention or maybe vacation or something, but he was just going to be gone for four days. Yeah. And then uh, nobody else was going to come in. And we we're like, let's just shoot a ton of shit while they're gone and just give it to them, edit it, finish it, and then give it to them. Because if we had asked about making it, it would have been weeks of try this or this or, you know, workshopping. We're like, let's just bang it out. Yeah. So we shot Dolphin Man Battles the Sex Lobsters. <laughs> which was a short directed by John Brennan. And then we, uh, I think it was, it had to be John's idea, had this idea for Kabuki Man versus Dracula. So we just shot a fake trailer and put it on Troma's YouTube on April Fool's Day. <laughs> and uh, Troma fans, while passionate and wonderful, <laughs> sometimes do not understand the concept of a practical joke. Yeah. <laughs> so then for years at conventions, people would come up and ask to buy a copy of Kabuki Man versus Dracula. Uh, so people believed it was a real movie for years and years and years. 
And yeah, so that we we wound up putting that segment on the grind exploitation disc. Now Doug's doing an official sequel, right? I think he's got us. He's got a proof of concept trailer, and the script is being worked on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doug's another good dude. He's another one of those trauma alumni people. You know what I mean? Doug's one of my best friends. I worked for Doug before I worked for Troma. Word. Yeah, um, Punk Rock Holocaust. He he did those, yep. right? Yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. Those were cool too. He was kind of ahead of his time too. That was smart thinking. I, didn't he like jump on tour with like the Vans Warp Tour or something like that? Yep, he did three years on the Vans Warp Tour and then shot a movie during it. Yeah, and then he made a second one and a third one. That's part of that trauma thing. Is like you you take what you have and make the best with it. You know, I mean that that that's that's trauma right there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got a question for you. Do you think? I know that uh, that Lloyd has has made it that Shakespeare Shitstorm is going to be his last directing uh, uh, project. Do you think that's going to be true, or you think that he might uh, decide this uh, do another one and have that be the last thing I do? I think he's taking time to be with his family. He's got grandkids now. I think the right project would sniff him out. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying. He doesn't mean it now, but I think Terry Funk meant it when he retired. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's also, what are you, you going to make movies for 50 years and then just stop? Right. Yeah. Do you, know, do you know if he has any personal choice of wanting to maybe end on a Toxic Avenger movie or? No clue. No clue, yeah. It's been discussed, but yeah. I, I have no idea where it's at now. I know there's there's always ideas going around for him, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Are you, do you plan on directing again? I know that you direct that, the, the Dracula and Kabuki short. Um, yeah, I would like to, um, uh, in the next few years, I have a number of features and stuff that I've been pitching. Um, I would like to make a feature probably in the next five years. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I think you're, you're talented. It'd be really good. You can pull in a lot of cool cameos and stuff. I think it'd be a really good deal. Yeah, I've had a few projects that kind of started and either financing didn't work out or, or, or um, COVID kind of pushed back a ton of shit. Right. Um, but I do have um, I do have one or two things that hopefully in the next few years we're going to get moving. Word. Well, Zach, this was, this was a great time. You know what I mean? We, we thank you for coming on. Well, thank um, you for your time, guys. Anytime, man. We usually ask one last question of everybody at the end. You know, you wear so many hats, man. You got your hand in so many cool mediums, you know, and you're excelling at it. And we're super fucking happy for you in seeing this. Do you have any advice for anybody that, you know, pursues these things and they get caught up in a rut? You know what I mean? And they really fucking, they're in a dark place or just kind of stuck. And you got any advice you would give to somebody like that? It's always worth it. It's always worth it. You could put up with any amount of shit, man. Seeing your name up at a drive through getting them influenced, meeting kids and they show up dressed like you or, you know, that, you know, seeing that they know all your lines from a movie or they memorized your jokes from roast battle. It's always worth it, man. And, you know, you could love your heroes and then you get to be one for somebody else. But the most important thing is, man, don't wait for somebody else. Don't wait for that fucking phone call. It's not coming. Uh, max out a fucking credit card, save up your money, make your project because no one is going to be willing to bet on you if you're not willing to bet on yourself. 
Goosebumps. Fuck yeah. That's 110% fucking correct, too. Heck yeah. Shit. Well, Zach, thank you again. You know what I mean? Uh, is there anything you want to plug before you hop out? Yeah, absolutely. You can follow me on Instagram at Zach is not funny. Uh, my Twitter is ZA Spook Show. And then I have three podcasts. Zach Amico's Midnight Spook Show Fridays at midnight. Bye, guys. With Ian Finance every Thursday. And the Real Ass Podcast with myself and Louis J. Gomez every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check out my social media for any live dates. And if Shakespeare's Shitstorm is in your town, I highly recommend you go checking it out. Definitely yeah. go check it out. Lloyd's traveling around with it, and you definitely want to meet Lloyd. He's a legend, you know what I mean? And go support Zach. Zach's a good dude. We appreciate him being on the show. Super funny, super fucking talented. And it's been a pleasure watching your eyes, man, you know what I mean? So good Thank shit. Thank you. It means a lot. Hey, fuck yeah, always. Well, uh, we'll have you back on the show again sometime. This is a lot of fun. You got it, brother. You guys have a good one, all right? You too. Thank you, man. Have a good one. That was fantastic. You know, that was fucking great, dude. Zach is an awesome dude. Um, like I said, I've been a big fan of trauma for 20 plus, big fan of comedy for 20 plus, big fan of wrestling for 20 plus. You know, he's a dude, when he came on my radar, you know, I, I definitely gravitated to him because of so many good things that he did that, you know, I enjoy, you know what I mean? And uh, super fucking talented dude, super good dude, you know what I mean? Um, it was a pleasure to have him on, man. What did you think of the show? Oh, awesome. I mean, uh, I when I was on uh, Shakespeare Shitstorm, I mean, I met Zach. That was the first time that I met him and actually talked to him. Great guy. Um I mean, he was, of course, uh, one of the actors in it, uh, but he also uh, helped out a lot behind the scenes. And he uh, he helped uh, crowd control and uh, helped get some uh, good scenes shot. He's, uh, he's uh, someone who constantly is hustling, and uh, I think it's really paying off for him. I have the utmost respect. You know, like he said, you just got to get out there and do it. You know what I mean? I have the utmost respect for people. He, you know you want to be in a world. You know, he knew you want to be in that entertainment world. And getting into the entertainment world is so fucking ridiculously hard. It's re- it's it, like success level, you know what I mean? To be able to get there and kind of make a living off of it. Um, so, like, you know, I love his attitude of just do what you got to do. And he... Not just saying it, the dude lives it, you know what I mean? Uh, the, yeah. We talked about many a mediums that he's killing it in, and fucking it's great, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the thing is that uh, you can go down the street and pick anybody, and you ask him, say, hey, how would you feel about being an actor or have your own podcast and, you know, be that? And i sure all, everyone's going to be like, yeah, I love that. That would be great. I love movies, love talking yeah i'd be great for that and then you're like okay you have to spend about at least 18 to 19 hours a day working on jokes working on your craft you know hustling going days weeks without making much money or just barely making rent maybe having to sleep in your car and then all of a sudden you see that same you know, enthusiastic person who's like, oh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be great as an actor. I'll be, like, number one. I'll be, like, up there with Brad Pitt. And you start telling them all the stuff you have to go through, all the, you know, relationships are going to go to shit because, you know, no one wants to be there during the, the hard times. Everyone wants to be there during the, the fun times. And to get there, it takes a lot of hard work. And 
Unfortunately, there are those that sometimes never make it. Mm. But the thing is, if you have truly have passion, you truly love this, where you wake up every day and you're like, I can't think of doing anything else that I love as much as this. You keep on going. And I, you could be successful when you're, you're 18, 19, or you could finally become successful when you turn 80. I mean, that's the way the business is. Preferably and, 18, though. Preferably. Yeah, preferably 18. Me, I, I passed 18. I'm not going to be famous when I'm 18. Do but I'm really working want- on getting it before I, I turn 80. Is it really worth it at 80 years old? You know, to, to have it for a, hey, I guess hey, to have it for I a couple of years is worthwhile. I have a question for you. Do you like Kentucky Fried Chicken? Yeah. Okay, then it's worth it. Because well, Colonel Sanders didn't become a success till he was in his 80s. Well, let me tell you that. He made a whole, and I think he lasted maybe 10 years before he died. So he ended up with 10 years of success. So, okay. so. The thing is that, is it better? I mean, we, we know Colonel Sanders now. I mean, we can say we can eat his chicken and be like, yes, he's the man. But and Colonel Sanders' he, spoiled kids got to reap all that money and fame yeah. and fortune and all that good stuff. The real question is this, is being a, as you, you can speak on this because you're an artiste that struggles oh. to fucking a better way. Um yeah. The idea of struggling for 80 years before getting any break is pretty fucking... Gives me an ulcer just thinking about it. Tell me about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Fucking rock and roll. uh, There was... uh, I forget (laughs) the the actor's name. But do you know the musical The Man of La Mancha? No. I know the boy in the plastic bubble with John Uh, Travolta. Well, anyway, The Man of La Mancha is a musical version of the story of Don Quixote. Right. Now, when that musical came out, uh, the actor who played Don Quixote's part mm-hmm. uh, became a huge success. And he had been struggling on Broadway and all that for many years. I think he was in the 60s or 70s when, when, that, when that broke. And, yeah, I mean, you can sit back and and be said that it took that long for uh-huh. a very talented individual to be Sad. recognized. But the fact is, he got recognized. There's a lot of people that they, they, they're talented, they do this for like 10, 20 years, and they're like, oh, I'm never going to be a success, they give it up, and they move on, which is, you know, their choice. But I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of talented people that, you know, just can't stand in for a long haul. And, you know, you never know when the break's going to happen. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen 20 years from now. Think about all those poor people that hung, like, Michelangelo's nunchucks from his belt from rafters in their fucking one-bedroom apartment with the check in the mail, with the, 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 the message they want on the answering machine. You know, that close, you know, you almost wonder if the folk, you know, that, and that, that happens, you know, yeah. that's happened uh, probably more times than anybody would even want to think it would happen. You yeah. Know? I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people, I mean, perfect example is the guy who wrote the musical Rent. I mean, now in his oh, yeah. case, he, he died of a disease before it, it, the thing that made him famous happened. Um, the guy who uh, created Conan the Barbarian, okay? I mean, we all know, we love Arnie as, as Conan and all, 
But yeah. back when the guy who actually created the stories and all that, he wasn't a success, and he actually killed himself. And sh- and not long afterwards, his Conan stories became popular. Yeah, and it's like uh, it's like those guys that created that Boombasta Cast podcast. You yeah, know? and all of a sudden they're going <laughs> to cut themselves on Spotify at this moment. Bang, bang! bang. You don't have a gun. <laughs> Alexander the Hoke. Don't worry. Yeah, we're still here. We take the long route. We take the long route. We yeah. take the long road home. So with that being said, go check out and support Zach Amico um, on RAP, Real Ass Podcast with Louis J. Gomez. You know, by guys, you know, the Infidance. You know what I mean? He's got Zach, Amico, Zach Amico's Midnight Spook Show. A little bit of a tongue twister got me tied up a little bit. These are all great things that you would love. If you like wrestling, check out Catalyst Wrestling. You know, that's where you can find him managing and getting in there down and dirty. You know, Troma, he's been rolling with Troma for, te- Troma for 10 plus. That's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's the show. Go check out the show, the animated show. It's a lot of fun. That is uh, foolishly ghoulish. I want to say foolishly ghoulishly, so I, I always have to check. Uh, my mind plays tricks on me. But uh, if Big Lurch comes to your house looking for lunch and he's got some PCP, you give him a fucking peanut butter and jelly sandwich or he'll go through your chest, you know what I mean? PCP is one of those drugs that uh, I don't know why people even do PCP. I remember Faces of Death videos back in the day where a dude smoked PCP and fucking went wild. And they're like, if you smoke PCP, you go crazy and then you die. Like, I, I don't even know what the positive thing the PCP supposedly was. I guess you get to see some fun stuff before you die. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that probably happens anyways. You know what I mean? So yeah. fuck that. But uh, check out Boombastic Cast on the Boombastic Media Network with the, you know, with the rest of the other shows. We're on social medias, Patreon at Boombastic Streaming, and uh, if you like this episode, you best subscribe and check out more episodes. You know what I mean? Whether you're on some type of uh, audio platform or you are on a YouTube situation, either way, you can subscribe and follow and be good people, be happy people, be the best of people. Be people that are our people. Let's be people together. And we'll catch y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Peace. Peace.